coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. It's gaming's biggest night, the second annual Cartridge Awards. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, on this illustrious evening by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. You know, Patrick, I, I try to be positive in the beginning of these episodes, but I have to tell you, tonight is a trying night. Mm. Before we started recording, yes. I was talking to CJ um, in Animal Crossing. Right. The uh, otter that yeah wants you maybe he's a beaver like, a beaver that right. wants you to like catch fish for him and so i'm like yes i am going to do this i'm going to catch three small fries so little fishes yeah normally my island lousy with small fries sure could not g- get a small fry for the life of me and then when i did see a small fry i would panic right because i would like mm. get one small because you have to get three in a row i'd get one small fry right and then I'd be like, okay, only two more to go. Then I'd scour everywhere, finally find another small fry. But then as soon as it nibbled, right, I would like panic and hit the button because I'm like, I don't know why. I just panicked. I Mark, it was you, a, it was you need tr- to calm down. Are you playing with volume on? <laughs> I Because if you're playing with volume uh-huh. on, fishing should be no problem. Because the sound triggers before the visual cue. I know it should be no problem. Mark? It's a trying time. But I, uh-huh. I believe we can get through it together collectively as a cartridge. No, society. I think you're on your own for this one. <laughs> I, I, I have a, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, on uh, Tuesday's episode, I said that the cartridge awards are the night when uh, Nintendo's biggest stars come out to shine, uh, and I was like, no, obviously that needs to be punched up. Uh, should it be Nintendo's biggest superstars come out to shine? Nintendo's biggest star bits come out to shine? Nintendo's biggest shines come out to star? Like what? <laughs> I, there's like a play on words there that I have that I didn't nail. I don't know that we're going to be able to crack it in the moment. Right. But I do like superstars. Superstars come out to Mm -hmm. shine? Okay, that's good. That's good. We'll we'll go with that for now. If a better one occurs to us, we will go with that. Um, Speaking of things you can go with for now, my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch, would you like to borrow it? You certainly can get on a list uh, to do so. All you got to do is email us at NintendoCartridgeSociety at gmail.com. And give us a mailing address where we can send you my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. There may be a copy of Untitled Goose Game in there. Uh, Either way, you get to do whatever you want with it for as long as you want and then send it back. I pay for postage both ways. It's the perfect borrowing program. You might get a copy of Untitled Goose Game. Isn't that what I said? Did you? I I switched the order up a little bit. I said that there may be Untitled Goose Game in there. Then I said you play it for oh, as long as you right. want or not. Yeah. Oh, darn it. I tricked CJ. you, Mark. <laughs> um, well, another thing you can do is you can leave us a five-star review on Apple mm-hmm. Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it so much. It helps people find the show. It really helps uh, grow our listener base. Patrick and I love reading every review that people write. If you leave us a five-star review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store, we'll give you a shout-out on the show. But if you like, favorite us, um, uh, leave a review on any podcatcher definitely let us know send us an email hit us up on twitter we would love to give you a shout out 
Also, we are playing Sega Genesis games as we head into the end of the year, the week of Christmas. We are playing and discussing Gunstar Heroes, Ristar, and Golden Axe, all games that are available on the Sega Genesis Nintendo Switch online service. And then the next week, the week of New Year's, we are playing Fantasy Star 4 End of the Millennium, a 70-hour RPG that I've committed to playing in a week. Um, Mark is playing Strider, and we are both playing Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. Mark, are you excited about these episodes? I am really excited. There's so much Genesis that is a mystery to me yeah. that I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're digging in. It's going to be great. Um, all right, Mark, let's get into it. Let's experience the second annual Cartridge Awards. Um, this is exciting. My favorite time of year, of course, awards season. Um, are, are, are you excited for, for this year's awards, Mark? I am. I'm very excited. I think we have a good crop of uh, nominees. Mm-hmm. And a good crop of categories. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the let's let's uh, tarry no further. Let's get into the very first uh, category for tonight. Uh, of course, best Fire Emblem game based solely on subtitle. Um, Mark, I have come with uh, three nominees. I I I'm, I suspect we have some overlap here. Possibly, yeah. I've also come with three nominees. I mean. For Fire Emblem games, the only one that I've played right, is, is Fire three. Emblem Three Houses. Right. And so, uh, not on my nominee list. Right. Well, and it, it's important. We just need to reiterate that we are determining the best Fire Emblem game based solely on the subtitle. So, this is uh, a superficial. We are basing it just on the name of the game. Uh, Mark, I'm going to give my first uh, nomination here. And of course, it is Fire Emblem Genealogy of the Holy War. That's a good one. It's a good name. Uh, it never came, uh, it never was localized outside of Japan. Um, is a Super Famicom game from 1996. Also on my list. So mm-hmm. I will go ahead and give a different nominee uh, Fire Emblem The Binding Blade. 2002 awesome. from Game Boy Advance, also never localized outside of Japan. Uh, and like sort of a sister to the Blazing Blade, which was the game that was localized here as just Fire Emblem. Yeah, and there's, for whatever reason, I think um, for me, Blazing Blade, I think of a blade on like fire yeah. as kind of a um, more of a trope. Yeah, it's rote, right? Than like, like yeah. a Binding Blade. What does that even mean? Tell me more. Tell me more about this Binding Blade. Um, a great nominee. Um, oh, we didn't really discuss why Genealogy of the Holy War is an awesome name, but like, it's self-evident, right? It, I, I feel like it really... What I want out of these Fire Emblem games, and part of the reason why Three Houses does not make it, Three Houses tells you like what the game is. is very good as a descriptor. Yeah. Yes. But like these other names, especially like Genealogy of the Holy War. It's evocative. It's, it's telling me a yes. story. You yes. know what I mean? Like if I'm playing a game called Genealogy of the Holy War, yeah. I you're like, getting into it. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. really feel like I'm going to experience something. Uh, so here's kind of a curveball, and maybe off of the, uh, uh, what, what we've established uh, fire emblem, if, which is the Japanese title for fire emblem fates. Oh, that's uh, so interesting. Because Fire Emblem Fates uh, is my third nominee. Okay, so are they separate nominees or are they one nominee? I think uh, we will probably... I, I th- they're different names. Right. So okay, I, sure. I think probably different nominees is okay. how I would approach it. Uh, that, that, makes, that makes sense to me. Um, 
Uh, so fi- both Fire Emblem Fates and Fire Emblem If. Uh, sell sell me on uh, Fates. I, so what I think is so evocative about If is um, it's so loose. It's almost like Fire Emblem Who. Like <laughs> the, 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 it's so wide open, um, and it just like it it conjures the idea of possibility. Uh, I absolutely that's it absolutely does because I'm thinking. You tell me if I'm wrong. That if does not have a question mark after it. It's that's just right. Fire Emblem if. if. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> right? That, uh, it's, it's a two-letter subtitle. Not, yeah, to, yeah. The confidence to not have a question mark. Because it's not asking a question. Right. It is saying, like, I don't know. It's proposing, like, so many alternatives. Right. And which, like, is the theme of uh, that game. Is that, Ooh, like, er- so cool. early on you choose between uh, whether you go with your... And you don't actually choose this. You choose it when you buy the game. Um, but whether you uh, go with your adopted family or the family... Uh, that birthed you um or there's a third path through there which is sort of like a, a combination between the two and i'm understanding your point now because the category specifically is um best fire emblem game based solely on subtitles so yes i actually think you are right that fates and if would oh are, great point are the same game because it's yeah. the same game okay yeah all right okay good 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 point uh, but we will now acknowledge not just the if part of it but also the fates part of it yeah um, so then do you have a, a, another nomination? No, those are my okay. three. The Binding Blade, Genealogy of the Holy War, and Fates. Okay. And so Fates slash If. Um, and then my, my final uh, nomination is Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn uh, for the Wii 2007. Uh, the reason that I love this is that it plays off the uh, title of the GameCube game as it continues the, the story um, of Ike. And that game is called Path of Radiance. I really like taking the radiance part of that and turning it into an adjective. And it starts the subtitle instead of ending it. There's something very like poetically satisfying. That is about really it. nice about it. It reminds me of something like you would have two. It's like missing wheel of time books. Like there's two yes. wheel of time books yes. that like echo each other. You know, with like uh, what is it? What are the two? Uh, Radiant Dawn and Path of Radiance. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just think that the, the Radiant Dawn, especially being the sequel that it's Dawn, I don't know, there's something uh, like about the sort of like circular nature of it and like Dawn is something beginning, but it's also like the second part of the uh, duology. I don't know. It's it's very fascinating to me. Um, all good nominees. All, wow, Fire all, Emblem all great has a strong history of subtitles. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I do think though that... Uh, the only two that are really in contention here, I think Binding Blade is a good name. I think Radiant Dawn is a good name. But I think it's either going to go to If or Fates uh, or Genealogy of the Holy War. I think you're right. Okay. So one thing I really like about Genealogy of the Holy War is that it is, uh, like we said, it conjures up, to my mind anyways, a very kind of like, even though I have no idea what the game is, yes, I feel like I know what I'm getting with Genealogy of the Holy War, and it feels very fitting for Fire Emblem because I'm imagining, you know, like um, being at a bookstore and looking at all of the fantasy novels, you know, yeah. and having one called like Genealogy of the Holy War, and it's like, oh Holy my gosh, cow. what am that. I about to get into? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it says epic better than any other 
Fire Emblem title, right? Um, and there's something about the wordiness of it that really works. Like, it's not, you know, for, there was a little bit where I was like, do we want to do Fire Emblem? Uh, ec- no, uh, I was going to say Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. That is Dragon Quest. <laughs> Shadows of Valencia. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I was going to refer to that one. But the wordiness there doesn't really tell you much about it. No, the genealogy of the Holy War feels like something like medieval. Yes, like and real too. Like yeah. there's there's a smack of reality. Like to a it. monk, like you know, inscribed yes. it, copying it from some totally. ancient text. Yes. Um. So in that way, that one is very good. We don't know what the game is. It's possibly about to win an award for best Fire Emblem game based solely on subtitle. Um. But let, let, let's go back and discuss the Fire Emblem If slash Fire Emblem Fates. Um, and maybe, like, uh, the fact that it has the two names, like, knocks it down a peg. But we both nominated it independently well, for also, different names. Also, I'm sure that uh, Genealogy of the Holy War is probably, since that was never localized outside of Japan, right. like, not the actual... Do you know what I mean? All of these yeah, probably sure. have two titles. Yeah, that, that that's a great point. Um, It's only If and Fates that we are specifically talking about. So on both parts of it, I do like the simplicity of it. Like, yeah. um, Fates holds a lot of weight, um, but I there's something about If that is just really, it's like... so bold. Tickles the fancy. Yeah. It is bold. That's a great way of putting it. Um, I mean, especially... I Like, I, you think about where that game comes out, like, in the... Fire Emblem line, they had just hit with Awakening, right? Um, and Fire Emblem Awakening is also a good title um, and sort of a, um, like, fortuitous, like, a, there's, there's a serendipity to it being, like, the Awakening of the West to Fire Emblem as, like, a blockbuster property. Um, that, like, that was the one that made Fire Emblem in the States. Um, I also think Japan, too, like, worldwide, yeah, it's point. the one that really, like, cracked open the franchise and made it like more approachable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. So like either they knew that uh, or it was just like a, a fun way to like tie it into, but it's not nominated, <laughs> was not nominated by either of us. And the only way to be nominated is for to be on our list of nominees. We're not adding nominees at this point. We're too late in the process. Um, so Mark, it comes down to which do you like better? These uh, simple uh, elegance and mystery of Fire Emblem If or the evocative, uh, wordy Fire Emblem genealogy of the Holy War. So for me personally, I think genealogy of the Holy War speaks to me in that sort of like fantasy nerd way Yeah. that if does not. I think they are both cool titles, but I, I personally lean towards genealogy of the Holy War. So at, at this point, I will refer us to the title of the, or to, to the category itself, which is best Fire Emblem game based on, uh, solely on subtitle i think the fire emblem part of fire emblem if is doing a lot of the heavy lifting if it's just if versus genealogy of the holy war genealogy of the holy war wins yeah i think so you know what i mean yep that just the subtitle part if is only evocative because it comes after fire emblem yeah whereas genealogy of the holy war all by itself um a perfect uh just a a, a perfect name so the winner of best Fire Emblem game based solely on its subtitle is Fire Emblem Genealogy of the Holy War. Uh, very, very good. Uh, next up, uh, the next category is best post-game world in a Mario game. This category, of course, is suggested to us by a Dementio superfan. Mark, 
would you like to give your first uh, nominee for best post-game Mario World? Yes. And this one, potentially controversial because I do not know if it actually strictly fits mm. the um, the requirements. Because my first nominee is Super Mario Odyssey. And while it does have kingdoms and worlds that open up after, I feel like the strength of Super Mario Odyssey is that it just has an amazing and enormous post-game. Absolutely. That it allows you to revisit literally every kingdom and discover uh, like a, a, a 100% more moons in all of them. In fact, if, you know, like, uh, if I were talking to somebody who was starting the game for the first time, I would tell them, finish the game as quickly as possible. Right. Like, beat Bowser, because right. the stuff that happens afterwards makes, makes way more sense for you to go back and to each kingdom and then try to get all the moons. Right. Don't try to do it at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, when you say Super Mario Odyssey, are you take what, what exactly are you counting in that? Exactly. Well, See, and that, spoilers it's, here it's for like, Super Mario yeah, Odyssey. Yeah, true. Right. It's like all the post-game content. Because all of it all together. Yeah, and so that's why I'm saying like... Mushroom Kingdom, Dark Side of the Moon, and Darker Side of the Moon? Plus all the stuff that opens up in the original Wow. Game. And so that, that's why I'm like, does this really does count? Does it really count? But I do yeah. think that it has the best post-game out of any Mario game because the amount of content and the... Um, there are other Mario games that have a lot of content, like right. eight new worlds open up afterwards. Sure. But I just I felt like what like the changes that happen right after you beat the game make it worthy of nomination. Oh boy! Even though like dark yeah. and darker side of the moon are um fine, but I don't think that they're like particularly great post you know like game worlds yeah i mean that that is really interesting especially because like the category is game world i know right I know. um or post game world yeah and not just like post game uh content yeah exactly because super mario odyssey 2 um when you get uh the first 120 stars then it unlocks three green stars in every previous level it kind of pulls the same trick oh you, mario galaxy 2 yeah, sorry, yeah. yes. I, what did I say, Odyssey 2? Mm -hmm. A game that doesn't exist. <laughs> um, but yeah, Galaxy 2 like gives you three more stars to find in every level. That's true. After you've beaten well, it. Well, and I might as well say, because it's here, My another nominee of mine is World S from Super Mario Galaxy 2. Uh, okay, uh, tell me about uh, World S. So World S is like the um, planet or like thing that unlocks after you beat Bowser uh -huh. and it has uh maybe nine levels because it is like the shape of an S. Oh yeah. So sure. there's like planets within mm -hmm. world S what's fun about it is that it um, each level or world within it is uh, like has like throwbacks to Mario's history. Yeah. Like the first one or one of the first ones is like an eight bit Mar like the thing looks like eight bit Mario, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so, it's kind of doing that reflecting on Mario history that Odyssey really leaned into, but earlier. Right. That That's very cool. Um, And I, I like uh, treating all of World S sort of like holistically as one uh, piece. I, I will throw out a nominee of, of mine now, um, which is maybe uh, zeroing in on it like in too much uh, specificity. But I'm talking about from Super Mario World, the um, special world tubular. 
um, which is the one that you have to get like that pee balloon and float all the way through. It is one of the more bizarre challenges in Super Mario World. It tests you on reflexes and game mechanics that you never have to engage with elsewhere. It's almost its own little slice of unique game uh, at the end of Super Mario World. I'm not counting all of the special levels together um, just because Tubular is so unique uh, that I wanted to shout it out specifically. That um, makes a lot of sense. I definitely think we approach this from I think a little very bit, different ways because yeah. uh, my other nominee is Special World from Super Mario World. Very good. Uh, so let's. Uh, I'm. I'm just going to note uh, Special World as well. Um, do you want to expand on why Special World outside of just Tubular um, is worthy of recognition here? So I think it. There's kind of like two pieces to it. One is that there had never been post-game content like this in yeah. a Mario game before. And it is post-game, like, almost on a technicality because the way that you get to it is you have to um, beat all of the levels in Star Road. And you can access Star Road. I think it's called Star Road, yeah. right? Yeah, like, you can really access early. it really early. Yeah. But you have to find the secret exits in all of the worlds in order in to... In Star Road. In Star Road, yeah. yeah. In order to unlock it, in un in order to unlock the uh, special world, and then the special world, it what is kind of like um what is that like Kaizo Mario? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before that became a thing, right? Where it's just like it's Kaizo Mario being the like uh the modded Mario levels that would like trick you that hidden blocks would be placed in places just to mess you up where you would have to perform like jumps off of the backs of successive enemies flying through the air that are extremely difficult and you know lost levels or the japanese super mario brothers do yeah. like kind of did that but we never got that in the states at the point that super mario world was released mm -hmm. and so yeah it was kind of like that first time where it felt like the Mario development team was messing with you. And as a kid, that was really funny. Right, yes. Uh, then you're like, wait a minute. These are genuinely very <laughs> hard. Um, all right, well, that'll be uh, an interesting uh, kind of showdown there between Tubular and uh, Special World in general. Um, my other two nominees are uh, Super Mario Galaxy 2, the perfect run, which is the final, final star that you can collect. It's The, the only way to collect it is as your 242nd star. Um, it is uh, an absolutely blistering Mario Galaxy obstacle course that um, you can only you can only take where well, you can't even take the one hit. Uh, it's one of those where like your health is reduced to one um, as you're going through it. When did that become something that we just expect from 3D Mario games? Was Galaxy Two the first one? No, I think Galaxy One had, had that. Yeah, I mean, I think at, at the end of the World S is a is a really tough long obstacle mm, course mm. um but the the perfect running galaxy 2 is so good and smart in that it uh it starts off with like a, a yoshi section so you have to do and it's like sort of a fake side scrolly yoshi thing um there's a really compelling cloud section uh, like where you're using the, the clouds to make platforms uh, and then just beyond that it is so good at uh featuring all of the like fun gameplay mechanics that you've had to master previously in the game. And it's just like ratcheted up to 11. Like, I think it is actually a sort of masterclass in um, concisely laying out the challenges that the game has been showing you the whole time. Um, and then my final nominee is Super Mario 3D World, 
the world crown, which consists of three levels. You, you go into it and there are just three levels sitting there. One is a mystery house, which is those uh, challenges that you usually have to do like five or 10 of in a row, which is like bite-sized little, little chunks. Um, but there's like, I don't know, 50 of them or something like that. Like it just keeps going and it reuses most of the old ones. And then there are some new ones on there. Um, there's a Captain Toad level, which is the hardest Captain Toad level in the game. And the Champion's Road, which is like the perfect run, but for Super Mario 3D World. So now we must decide which of these is the best Mario post-game world. I think first we need to discuss uh, Odyssey. Yeah, I mean, we almost need to define what we what we want to mean by world yeah. in this specific instance. Right. So I think probably world should be a collection of levels, okay. right? Yeah. I think that is Mario standard. I think when both of us went off uh, that guidance, we were misguided, which means I'm going to remove Super Mario World Tubular from this list because it is not a collection of levels. I am also going to remove the perfect run because it is not a collection of levels. And Super Mario Odyssey, also not a collection of levels. Right. Which means that uh, the remaining uh, nominees are uh, World S in Super Mario Galaxy. The special... Two. Super Mario Galaxy oh, 2. Oh, Super Mario Galaxy 2. Um, special World from Super Mario World and... Uh, World Crown from Super Mario 3D World. Now, I don't want to speak for you. Thank you. But I feel like, but I'm going to. Thank you. And say that World Crown from Super Mario 3D World. I know that you and Sarah worked on that for a very long time. Yes. And that was like a special achievement. Yes. When you guys, like, <laughs> you know, like that, that was a big moment mm -hmm. when you guys uh, beat it for the yes. first time. Yes. And for the second time and every time after yeah. that, um, yes. Uh, so I, I do have a personal affinity for it. Are you suggesting that it is swaying my judgment here? No, no, no. I don't think that's a bad thing. I mm -hmm. think that mm -hmm. actually may be a reason to go for it. Because while I think that like Special World um, from Super Mario World and World S from Super Mario Galaxy 2 are great collections of uh, Mario levels for different reasons, Special World being like the first time that... Yeah. The Mario team kind of messed with you. World S for being a reflection on Mario history. I think for us as a collective, the uh, crown world from Super Mario 3D World probably means the most. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely means the most to me. Um, so that that is my vote. Um, uh, and I actually... I would like to honor that because I don't, I don't really feel strong enough about the other ones to, you know, like put up a fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Then the winner of best post game world in a Mario game is super Mario 3d worlds world crown. I mean, it is after all the Cardies. It's our, it's our award. That's, that's right. That's right. If, if, I mean, we are the, we are the voting Academy. We are the entirety of the voting Academy. We of course, uh, employ PricewaterhouseCoopers to, uh, <laughs> you know, keep a track of our ballots. Is it Coopers or Cooper? I think it's just a, a singular, a singular Cooper. Cooper. Okay, great. Um, Mark, the next category is best hypothetical super smash brothers clone. So, we have seen, obviously, uh, there has been a sort of rash of Super Smash Brothers-like games. Um, there was that Nickelodeon one. We will be seeing a uh, Warner Brothers uh, 
brawl thing coming out at, at some point. Um, we are looking into a potential future and we are uh, selecting which are going to be the best of one of these that comes out sometime in the future. Um, Mark, I would like to go first, if at all possible. Uh, my first nominee is the Jim Henson Workshops Fight 'em Up. Oh, very good. So this will have Muppets in it. It'll have Fraggles. David Bowie's character from Labyrinth will be in there. We'll get some Skeksis from the Dark Crystal. Big Bird, Elmo, like everyone from the Jim Henson's Workshop. Probably a Ninja Turtle from from the uh, 1990 movie. Very Michael Caine as Scrooge. Of uh, course, Michael Caine as Scrooge. <laughs> and uh, probably the Ghost of Christmas Present because he's enormous. <laughs> that would be that would be so much fun. Yeah, and it could be done like so playfully. Totally, yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I, yeah. So I, I think there do have to be humans in it, right? Like at, at least Michael Caine and David Bowie. Yeah, and maybe like Gordon from <laughs> Sesame Street. <laughs> Bert and Ernie are a team character. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it's this is something that, like, uh, uh, I'm thinking of it. I now want it to exist. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, I have two nominees. This, my first one, one is more of a crowd pleaser. This one is maybe for a couple hundred of us. I would really think it would be awesome to see a Smash-like fighter for King's King Features Syndicate's uh, syndicated comic strips. Because they have so many of them. Okay. Um, so I'm talking Blondie. I'm talking Barney Google and Snuffy Smith. I'm talking Rex Morgan MD. I'm talking Mary Worth. I'm talking the Family Circus, Lockhorns, Spider-Man, Curtis, Dennis the Menace. Is Popeye in this or not? Uh, Popeye, I don't know if, if it's running anymore. Okay. But p- potentially they uh, have Popeye He could Popeye be a legacy character, right? Yeah. Mark yeah. Trail, uh, High and Lois, like... They've got yeah, the this is good. Um, Funky Winterbean, Crankshaft, yep. Zitz, Baby Blues. Um, they own so many. I just want a be- like uh, one of these Smash Fighters where I can play as Mary Worth. Is that too much? No, that's to ask? that's that is excellent. Um, okay, King Features Comics. What a what a great uh, what a great addition to to the lineup. Mark for my uh, second nominee. Uh, it is. Uh, the 90s and uh, well n- 90s and onward i'm going to get rid of the 90s part the nbc must see tv <laughs> brawl i'm talking friends i'm talking seinfeld <laughs> mad about you will and grace cheers taxi you're going to get to play as latka <laughs> my name is earl the office scrubs you're going to get to play as uh, jt <laughs> what's that his name <laughs> parks know. and recreation superstore the good place i this would be uh I'm very excited about that. That would be oh, that'd be so good. Mm-hmm. My my second one is uh, just give me like a Star Wars fighter. The Star yep. Wars universe is so big now. You have characters from the Clone Wars, um, the Bad Batch, Rebels, uh, the Mandalorian, all of the movies, right? Like uh, the universe, the comics, the comics, the like, movies. Uh, there, you said movies. The High Republic, yeah. the novels. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Give me Sheev Palpatine flying oh around gosh. with his like Force lightning. Yeah. You know, tra- he's like a, a transforming character, like Zelda and Sheik. You know, where he's of course um, cloning uh, himself or something. We don't know. <laughs> 
Yes. Give me Snoke in a jar. Yes. Also, uh, like, let's get some Legends character in, characters in there. Give me a Dash Rendar. Give me a Dash Rendar. Give me a Dash Rendar. For sure. And in fact, like, let's lean into characters that have appeared in video games. That would be so much right? fun. Because then yep. we understand their movesets a little bit, which is always my complaint about um, uh, these Smash clones, where it's like, okay, I can play as Ren and Stimpy, but what does that mean? <laughs> these characters don't appear in video. Oh, I'm Gandalf. What? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. These are book characters. No, that's true. The more video game characters you can put in there, the better. Yeah. And Star Wars has a long history in video games. So, like, yeah. that I mean, that one may win just uh, sort of by process of elimination. Um, also, it makes me wonder, um, does Yoda appear in the Jim, Han- the Jim Henson one or in the Star Wars one? Oh, or both? yeah. Or both. Yeah. Or maybe, like, if we're uh, taking the Smash Brothers um, template all the way maybe there's like just like there's toon link and you know adult mm, link yes maybe there's uh, this clone wars yoda and then <laughs> exactly. there's exactly <laughs> yeah. okay and then this puppet yoda <laughs> that's that's very good um my final nominee is um just a cw based uh brawler so you would have uh characters from roswell new mexico from the arrowverse shows uh from nancy drew from riverdale from kung fu from charmed and if you wanted to do like classic cw yeah, shows from the last couple of seasons of gilmore girls yeah last couple of seasons of gilmore girls buffy the vampire slayer the original roswell smallville the vampire diaries crazy ex-girlfriend like let's do it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mark, I think, okay, so those are our, cat- uh, those are our nominees, the, uh, Jim Henson workshop, um, King features comics, uh, M- NBC, uh, must see TV, star Wars and the CW, uh, who should win? Yeah. The- I feel like th- this one is challenging because, mm-hmm. uh, I want to, s- they all sound so delightful. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the only two that are really in contention here. And correct me if I'm wrong, but my gut says the best two are Star Wars and Jim Henson. I think you're I, I think you're right. Okay. Um, so the Star Wars one, I will say, sh- strikes against it are not really a mashup, right? Not really a mashup. Have seen, like, there are lots of uh, Star Wars. There are Star Wars fighting games. There are, you know Masters what I mean? of like, Tarascasi. Yeah. Yep. Like, I guess that was the only one, though, right? There hasn't been a Star Wars fighting game. That's true. Not like strictly, but I. But there are modes in like um, uh, Jedi Knight. Oh, sure. And like Jedi power battles. Yeah, stuff like uh, that. And let's not forget Yoda and Darth Vader and Soul Calibur 3. And there was a Wii uh, lightsaber fighting game, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, great point. Yeah. Great point. Um, but I mean, it, to, to that to that point, and it was one, uh, one of the positives that we addressed earlier, uh, it is a video game property already. So it is a natural fit for a Smash-like game, um, which is a strike against the Jim Henson one, is that, like, there was a Dark Crystal game, like, two years ago, uh, but it was bad and no one liked it. And then I don't... Are there Muppets games or Fraggle games? Like, I don't think so. Yeah, not that I'm a, not that I'm aware of. Um, but it is a mashup, and I really like the sort of fluid reality of the Jim Henson characters in that, like... They sort of exist in each other's realities already. Um, are you familiar with the uh, Muppet Family Christmas special from like the early '90s, late '80s? Um, it is a uh, Christmas special where they're spending the holidays at Fozzie's mom's house, um, and more people, more Muppets keep showing up, and the Fraggles are in it. Like the Fraggles are living under her house. The uh, Sesame Street Muppets show up at one point. Like they're just 
they're just already in universe together. And I feel like it, the this one has the zany energy. Yeah. The potential for the zany energy that Smash Brothers does, like Gonzo, you know, could pull out. Oh, he he's wearing a, a helmet and a, a cape, and you know he can get fired out of a cannon. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I just feel like um, I, I like this one a lot. I think yeah. it's a very good one. Uh, I but here's but the thing is, there's also like the violence angle of it too, where it's like the Muppets and like the Jim Henson characters like aren't violent characters. The Star Wars characters are. It makes sense to see Darth Vader beat up on. It, you know, it does, but I mean, it's not like Villager is a particularly. That's a great point. You know, that's like a great point. Um, or the um, Wii Fitness Trainer, right? And so that's part of like the fun of it is because it isn't like a Star Wars one. You would it would almost tip too like quote unquote realistic. This is a great point. Whereas you know, like um, the Smash Brothers, they are in universe. They're canonically toys that are being played with, right? And so it makes sense for Muppet characters, yeah, to be um doing this. Whereas the Star Wars one feels like it might be more of a um uh injustice type thing, right? You may be tempted to take it seriously. Was that the name of the DC fighter yeah. thing? Yeah, okay, in yeah. injustice, gods but among yeah. us. Hey, <laughs> but exactly, like. It would be Man, easy to take worst it seriously. Game based on subtitle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you're absolutely right. Like you, you almost have to take it seriously, um, even though it'd be like characters from different time periods. Like it's still too. Um, it's too close to what Star Wars is. Yeah, great point. Um, still a great game, and I would love to play it. But the winner of the best hypothetical Super Smash Brothers clone is the Jim Henson Workshop. Um, all right, our next category, Mark, is best Ganon or Ganondorf in a villainous role. This category was suggested by Xander. Um, Mark, would you like to go first? So I have I have three nominees for this. Two okay. that I um, one that I for me is the strongest of my three, and that is Ganon from Wind Waker. Yeah. Ganon from Wind Waker is also one of my nominees. So um, lots of reasons. One, visually striking. I think one of the best designed Ganons. Yeah. Well, and he's got the height on the other characters. Yes. He's got a little bit of a, like, like, kingpin in Spider-Verse kind of thing going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also like that... His motivations in this one are clear and make, like, the most sense. It's, like, environmental injustice, basically. Yes. Um, He wants to conquer Hyrule because he's had a terrible life and his people were subjected to living in the harsh desert that's a complete wasteland where there's an unstable climate and sandstorms. And so it's, like, uh, he has the, I feel like, the clearest motivation that is not just, like, well, he was, like, born evil, and he's just always been evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and there's also something super compelling about the fact that he knows what this world is, right? Like, uh, Tetra slash Zelda and Link really don't know. They're just, like, getting by yeah. on, on, yep. this, on this great sea. And he's like, no, here's what was taken from us is this beautiful land. And, like, when you visit... Uh, you know the the Hyrule Castle, like under under the sea, like he knows about all that stuff. Um, it's not a surprise to him that there was a rich, verdant world that was uh drowned by the gods. Um, so yeah, there's he's a very compelling villain. Also, his death is the best iconic. Like, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's a can we we can yeah we it, might right? as well yeah. Uh, Link stabs him like right through the head, and he yeah. turns into a stone. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um. 
So uh, then uh, Wind Waker was my first nominee. My second nominee is the Ocarina of Time Ganon, uh, who is kind of classic at this point. He's sort of like the Ur-Ganon, right? Um, or at least the Ur-Ganondorf, um, where he starts off being like uh, a like sort of... Tr- he's like a... He's trying to like... Uh, ingratiate himself to the king of Hyrule and like get stuff done politically um, and then like is positioned to uh, you know take all the take the Triforce and like gain power um, and does uh, and brings darkness upon the land while Link is uh, slumbering also he's got that so so cool uh, like organ song that he plays yeah, when you go uh-huh. to fight him, which is in like an insane time signature and is just like bonkers. Like it is just, it is batshit. It's so good. There's also something I've really liked about the the battle where he's coming in and out of paintings. Yes. I just the, think that's the, really the, neat. It's the Phantom Ganon, but yeah, yeah it's, it's all part of the same. Um, also, when you're saying he's like the Ur Ganon or Ganondorf, like it's the one in Super Smash Brothers, right? Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's 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 hard to tell visually the difference between that one and the uh, Twilight Princess one, right? Like they're they are very they're, close. they're pretty they're pretty similar. Um, my next, no- so I also had Ocarina of Time. Oh, okay, and very my good. My third nominee is Zelda II: The Adventures of Link. Where <gasps> Mark, we have the exact same nomination. <laughs> no way. Uh, okay, list. So, yes. I not actually the the thing that I think about is cool about Ganon and the Adventure of Link is it's the threat of Ganon right. through the entire game. He does not appear the in the game at all. The only time you yeah. see him is in the fail state, yes. and then it's he's in shadow, uh, and uh, he's uh, laughing. Uh. And there's something very sinister about like he, Ganon's minions, even though he is dead, they are tracking Link down because your Link's blood yes. is what will bring Ganon back to life. And so when you fail, he Ganon comes is back. brought back to life. Yes. And there is something very like cool and... Um, like fun about that. Yeah. No. I mean, absolutely. It's it's why I nominated him as well. Um, I think he's there's. I it almost makes him like Christ like, yeah, right? Where it's yeah. like he will return and like reign like the dark fire. lord. He yes. truly is. Yeah. It's yeah, very he's the antichrist. I, I don't think they would do that. I don't think they would like be as explicit about it as they uh were then. Um, but yeah, it's it's very. Even though it's a small part, it's striking. Right. Well, and there are no uh, small parts, just small <laughs> actors. Um, all right, Mark. Well, so we have not uh, narrowed anything down as our uh, list of nominees have overlapped entirely. Again, just to review, they are uh, the Ganondorf from Wind Waker, the Ganondorf from the Ocarina of Time, and the Ganon from the Adventure of Link just laughing at you when you die. So for me, it's probably between Wind Waker and Ocarina of Time. Right, that the Adventure of Link is sort of the on, uh, honorable mention. Yeah, yeah, like worth noting because it's. I think it's really cool, but not strong enough to beat out either of the other two. Right. Well, so I'm tempted to go Wind Waker here. That, me as well. Um, he's also like the just the way he looks with like that sword and like his kind of top heavy design. I don't know. It's all. I would love to see this version in Smash Brothers. Oh my god! To see god. this like in like Tune full fidelity. Yeah. You know, like I just think it would be awesome. I. I I love this version. Um, all right, then. The, the best Ganon or Ganondorf in a villainous role goes to Ganondorf from The Wind Waker. From Nintendo Cartridge Society, Patrick Ellers and Mark Mitchell. William Shakespeare said, If music be the food of love, 
play on. If that's true, tonight we're in for a real feast. That's so right, Patrick. Our musical guest this evening is a composer, a songwriter, a singer, and yes, a poet. <laughs> You've heard his music on Cherry Speakers, on Lily Record Players, and Outside Resident Services. Please welcome DJ KK. Can you believe he's been making music for almost 20 years? It's incredible. He just he, he doesn't miss a beat. He just gets better and better. A real star, superstar studded evening. <laughs> um, all right. Our, our next category is best bird. Uh, Mark, would you like... Or I'll, I'll give my first nominee for, for best bird. Um, uh, my first nominee is Peter the Parrot from Star Tropics. Uh, this is the bird who gives you the musical combination to the organ lock left behind by the uh, captain who is stranded in Chapter 5 of Star Tropics. Uh, it is uh, Domi Sofa, Domi, um, and he's a very helpful parrot. You have to give him a worm before he uh, gives that to you. That's such a good. That's such a good pull. I have so many potential nominees for this. At first, when I saw Best Bird... I like was struggling to think of them, but then once the um like tap was opened, yeah. you're like, there are so many good bird characters. There are a ton of good in birds. Nintendo characters. So in Nintendo games. So my first nominee is Cass from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. This is the accordion playing oh, so good. um like bard bird mm -hmm. that shows up at various times throughout the game iconic music just absolutely lovely melody that he's playing and then plays a big part in the champions ballad dlc as well yeah um really like the ritos in uh breath of the wild and really really like cast thought he was a great character yeah i mean it's almost tough to choose between ritos right but i, I think you're right that like cast is the standout uh well Rivali is awesome and the modern day hero whose name i can't remember um is also very cool Cass has a presence throughout that game, um, and it is one of those like sensory experiences of Breath of the Wild where you hear him before you see him, um, and it's one of the ways that the game like casts its spell of like space and continuity. Yeah, especially because you like hear it, and it could be from a distance, and yeah. you have to like locate it based on the sound. It, it's just it's really fun. Yeah, it's so good. Really like Cass. Um, my second nominee and our third nominee tonight is the Mama Penguin from Super Mario 64. Another really good one. Not on my list, but great. Um, tough sometimes to think of penguins as birds. Um, this is a, a, a penguin who wants you to bring her baby back to her, um, which amazing that there are multiple missing baby penguins and you can bring her the wrong one <laughs> and she's not happy about it. She's like, that's not my baby. 
take that somewhere else. Um, and I like, was tempted to uh, throw a baby penguin in the mix here, um, but we all know that we like to uh, murder baby penguins by throwing them off the side of the level. The mama penguin is my nominee. Uh, another nominee I have is King DDD. That is so interesting. I do not think of him as a bird, but of course he is. Yeah, no, that was another one where I was like, best bird, best bird. But yeah, uh, King DDD, the main villain, I guess I would say, of the Kirby series. Yeah. Sometime ally. Um, but yeah, a bird with a hammer. Don't want to cross him. Yeah, definitely not. Um, my final nominee is Dodo from Super Mario RPG. Uh, he is part of the uh, like palace intrigue uh, in the uh, Nimbus uh, Nimbus Kingdom, which is uh, Mallow's homeworld. Uh, he is more of a bruiser um, and an assistant to the people who are like actually trying to usurp uh, Mallow's crown. Uh, but he is he's he's there. He's a big. He's almost like a a fat raven. Um, but he's called Dodo. He wears a little helmet. It's very cute. I love Super Mario RPG, so of course I have to mention one here. Uh, this this is not my nominee, but just want to give uh, big ups to my boy Falco. Yep, big ups to Falco. Sorry you overlooked this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a little while since we've had a Star Fox game to uh, be excited about, so this is probably why. Uh, Birdo is my final best bird. I looked it up to make sure that they count, and not just on a technicality, but they are in fact part of a race called Birdo of prehistoric mm. birds. Okay, so we we believe that Birdo is a bird. Is a prehistoric bird, okay, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, so just to review, the nominees are Peter the Parrot from Star Tropics, Cass from The Breath of the Wild, the Mama Penguin from Super Mario 64, King DDD from Kirby, Dodo from Super Mario RPG, and Birdo from everything. So I think we can start to make some uh, eliminations here, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think Dodo probably not actually in the running. I think King DDD, the fact that we don't immediately think of him as a bird, probably. Yeah, probably another strike against him. Yeah, another him. strike. Um, but I think everyone else is kind of in the running here, and uh, let's talk about why. So Peter the Parrot, uh, I think, is in the running because Star Tropics is uh, an iconic forgotten classic. Um, and he plays such a unique role in that game. He's a bird who sings a song to you, and you need that song to get to advance in the game. Um, the Mama Penguin from uh, Mario 64, everyone knows this bird. Mm-hmm. This is a bird that everyone knows. Um, Cass, we kind of already expounded the virtues of, of Cass. And Birdo? Everywhere. Birdo is everywhere. Birdo. Now, Birdo was not everywhere for a long time. That's right. This like mystery character in Super Mario Brothers 2, yep. didn't really see much of Birdo, and then needed a partner, doubles partner, for, for Yoshi for Yoshi and tennis. Right. And it's like, well, they're both kind of dinosaurs. And so... <laughs> well, wait, does that mean Yoshi is a, is a bird? Well, we... Because uh, dinosaurs evolved into birds. <laughs> I guess, like, saying something evolved into something doesn't mean that they're the same thing. Right, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so... I don't think it's Cass as much. And I think Cass is great. See, I think it might be Cass. Oh, interesting. I just think Cass is like not been in compared to, you know, like Birdo. Cass has not been in it enough. Well, right. But then by that, if if we eliminate Cass, then we also immediately eliminate Peter the Parrot. I mean. Okay. Well, uh, I'm eliminating Peter the Parrot, but I am not <laughs> conceding on, on Cass. Um, 
Cass is such a good pull, and I like I don't want to uh, you know be hyperbolic and say that he uh, like executes on the mission statement of Breath of the Wild, but he kind of does like the fact that he exists around the world it makes the world feel like a cohesive unit and granted there are a million other things that do that too but i mean it, it i i see what you're saying though where it does like Cass aids that experience of discovery that is so core and foundational to or is a great example of the yeah the like um gameplay loop of discovery in that where discovery at, and familiarity at the same time because you're like out in the world and then you like hear this noise whether it's from the the first time that he's playing his accordion or you know you're familiar with him but you still have to do that thing where you're like where is he i have to like climb up or i have to right. look around and i have to find him and so it it's just like another exploration element in a game that is the main draw of it is exploring this vast world. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like it's Cass's to lose. Um, but uh, uh, do you want to make a case what for what Birdo has going for them yeah. is ubiquity. Yeah, right. True. Um, and so th it's not like a good thing or a bad thing necessarily. But I feel like Birdo probably is the most iconic bird but i think the problem with that is that i don't think people really think a bird as a bird right and i think like uh, also like ubiquity as far as like awards are concerned can kind of go against it a marvel movie's never won best picture right right um and likely never will so i don't know for for my money i think the answer here I is i think Cass. we talked ourselves into Cass. i think i think the answer is Cass from the legend of zelda the breath of the wild um, is is best bird. Next category is the best platform on which to play Super Mario Brothers. So I'll go first because I only have one nominee for this because I think it's the right answer, but I'll be very interested to hear yes. um, any alternatives you have. And for me, it's the Nintendo 3DS. I oh. think that's the perfect system to play Super Mario Brothers on. Um, I, as far as portability goes, the 3DS still cannot be beat. Right. Um, for my money, and I like playing that game in handheld. I like having it like, uh, close. I with something like Super Mario Brothers, I think it benefits from portability in this day and age. Yeah. So for me, it's uh Nintendo 3DS. Um. So my three nominees uh are I I came up with three nominees, uh, and I think they're all good places to play Super Mario Brothers. Um, the Wii Virtual Console because it had excellent NES emulation. Um, and also the uh, Wii Remote functions shockingly well as a um, NES controller, especially if you don't need to quickly access the start and select buttons. Um, the uh, NES Classic Edition is my, my second nominee, which is basically just like playing it on NES, but without the sort of hassle of uh, the cartridge maybe not working from time to time. Uh, and then my last nominee is the Super Mario Brothers 35th Anniversary Game & Watch, which has Super Mario Brothers and the Lost Levels and a version of Ball on it. Um, and that's all it does. It is also a clock, and I love the clock part of it. Um, I've had it up on the wall in my office for the last couple months, and it is beautiful. Um, but so that also has the portability of the 3DS. It is a little bit, I mean, it's quite a bit smaller than a 3DS, which I think the only strike against 3DS for me is that it's a lot to have in your hands to play Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, that's a good point because it is like two screens. You have to boot it up. You have to like get or you know futz around to get to it. Right. Whereas and uh, 
it I when you got the 35th anniversary Zelda Game and Watch, getting that out and like holding and everything reminded me how light yes. and like easy to carry those things are. And at the time, I remarked, "Oh, I." It's almost like you want two of them: one to keep, you know, like pr- preserved and you know used as a clock or whatever, and one that you can just like toss in the in a backpack. Totally. To play. So I I um, am swayed by the Game and Watch because I I. For me, in this day and age, I think the portability wins out on like totally. being able like mm-hmm. perfect emulation or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I, I like that answer. Um, they're also just like tiny little like extra features in there. Like you can, uh, there's a a world select that you can access, um, or there is a an infinite lives thing that like are the only two little tweaks to the game, but it does you know make it just a little bit different. Um, so, uh, the winner of best platform on which to play Super Mario Brothers is the Super Mario Brothers 35th Anniversary Game & Watch. The only thing that I don't love about that is that it's so hard to experience that. You know what I mean? The, here's the thing, though. Um, it's not that hard to experience that because they are plentiful. Like, the oh yeah, the scarcity race on these things didn't really happen um you can buy a mario 35th anniversary game and watch right now for 50 bucks oh that's great um or even less so uh it's same with the zelda ones too at least last time i checked um because you know there's a little bit of me that's like oh let's see how my investment (laughs) here did not that it matters because i opened it immediately and started playing it and my big dumb hands like ripped the manual while i was trying to open it anyway doesn't matter um so yeah, not not actually that <coughs> that hard to experience if you spend the money on it. Uh, next, we uh, of course have the Slippy B Defrog Award for outstanding contributions to the world of obnoxious characters. Previous winners include the dog from Duck Hunt and Funky Kong from Donkey Kong Country, and last year's winner Navi from the Ocarina of Time. Uh, this year, we are honoring Doctor Kamuda. From Famicom Detective Club, The Missing Heir. A little bit of a different type of obnoxious character. Yeah, uh, someone who's a little bit too girl crazy and a little bit too like obtuse in how you have to interact with him to solve puzzles and advance the game. Yeah. Uh, ultimately kind of helpful, but who among these characters isn't ultimately kind of helpful? Yeah, and it's like I like I have positive feelings for Dr. Kamuda. Like, I think some of the interactions are funny. But yes. the act of playing the game, there are multiple interactions that are just absolutely infuriating. A few puzzles where you're like, how on earth was anybody supposed to be able to like understand that that's what you were supposed to do unless you're just clicking everything in the room? Yeah. I mean, it is. And and even that, usually just clicking on everything in the room, not even sufficient. Because <laughs> sometimes you have to do it multiple, multiple times, times or in a very specific order. But all of this is to say, if you have not played Famicom Detective Club either of the games we really loved it we really had a great time yeah. play it with a guide on your lap mm-hmm. um because it is uh, it, it's worth it to get through these games yeah um and you get to experience one of the uh, best obnoxious characters of the year dr kamuda um mark which brings us to our final category can you believe that we are already at the end of the night wow um uh, our final category for tonight is best button on a nintendo controller uh, I will start with my first nominee, the trigger on the NES Zapper. No way. This is also on my list. <laughs> Do you want to? You should describe why, because I think probably at this point, a lot of our listeners have n- 
have no idea what an NES Zapper was like. Sure. So the NES Zapper uh, used primarily to play Duck Hunt, um, but also like Hogan's Alley and a couple uh, uh, Gumshoe. Yeah, Gumshoe. That's right. Um, just very, very few actual applications for it, but it was a light gun uh, that looked just like sort of a, a handgun slash like rifle mixed together. Yeah, kind of like um, a little bit like a space, like sci-fi laser. Yeah. Like, not I guess too hence, much like a real gun, but yeah. because it had a very long, like, um, uh, kind of like a Star Wars zapper a little yeah, bit. Yeah, or almost like the uh, the uh, James Bond PPK, right? Yeah. With like the longer mm-hmm. barrel. Um, and in the original release, it was a it was multiple colors of gray, kind of two toned gray, light and dark. And in the re release of it, was like orange and gray. And we had the orange one. We oh, had we the had the gray. We had the double yeah. gray. Um, both are cool though. Like I I think they they both rule. Um, what color was the uh, zapper trigger on the orange one? I want to say orange, but I honestly don't remember. So I think it was red on the original release um, and kind of like a, a duller red, like not not bright. Um, but it had uh, the most satisfying like pullback spring loaded kind of like click to it when you pushed it. And it was the only button on this controller. All you could do with it was fire. Yeah. And the controller itself, I, I just looked it up. You're right. On the gray one, it is kind of, it is red. Um, kind of like the Nintendo Red. Yeah. And on the orange one, it was black. Oh, okay. Black. Cool. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, it, it's an iconic button. Uh, and in all of the Nintendo developed games, um, they had the same sound effect for firing the gun and also the same sort of visual effect, which was necessary because of the way that a light gun works is that it just reads, uh, you know, like a color on a screen. So it has to turn the whole screen bright white, except for the spaces that are uh, targets that you can hit. Those are squares of color. Um, so firing the gun while the game was on meant that you got a bright flash from your TV and this uh, clearly identifiable uh, sound um, along with the click of the actual trigger being pulled. Yeah. It was a sensory experience and sort of unified across games, which no other controller can give you that. No other controller can give you that. So, that yeah, that was one, one of my nominees as well. Another nominee I have is the D-pad on the original Nintendo DS. Not oh, the DS the Lite, DS. but okay. the original Nintendo DS. There was something about it. It was like like flat yeah i don't know there was just something like very like clicky like something really really satisfying on that on the original nintendo ds and i feel like the the d-pads on the lights weren't as good um but i've been chasing that d-pad high ever since wow i I know nintendo has it in them right (laughs) because they've done it before yeah i also have a d-pad on my list but it's just the original nes Mm, mm d-pad um before nintendo did this it was not standard for controllers to have d-pads we were reliant on joysticks and rollerballs and like god knows what d-pads are an innovation (laughs) of nintendo's uh which is uh so easy to forget now um so i i have it nominated as sort of a like historical um curiosity and then my final nominee is the GameCube A button. This is also on my list. I thought it, I thought it might be just because we, <laughs> we talked, talked about it, about recently, it yeah. you know, on our ABCs of GameCube for the console's 20th anniversary. But it is a combination of both design, where it is a large, like quarter-sized button that red, very clear that this no. is the... 
it's action green button. Right? oh green red is the b button oh you're right you're yeah. right very clear that this is like the action button but also just feels good to press like the clickiness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the gamecube buttons are really good and so the combination of like the visual um uh how prominent it is plus the satisfaction of actually using it yeah. I, I think makes it a contender I mean, it's hard to compete with main button, right? Like, the it is the biggest button. It is the brightest button on that controller. And it's a colorful controller, yeah. right? Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's just so rock solid. I was going back and forth between it and the A button on the Wii Remote, um, which is also, really also a really good button. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, kind of clear. Um, the, the only button that, like, has a different color or texture to it on that controller, but I, I think that the GameCube one just sort of wins out by um, taking a classic controller design and making it a little bit more uh, like like accessible, approachable. I, I, I don't know what exactly. Um, but, okay, so those are our four nominees. Uh, so just to review, they are the trigger on the NES Zapper, the D-pad on the DS, not the DS Lite, the D-pad on the NES, and the A button on the GameCube controller. This is a tough one. This is a tough one because we kind of had consensus on all three. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, that we are like a D-pad of some kind. Uh-huh. Um, which almost makes me think we should throw them out. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, how do we decide which of those D-pads yeah, that's true. Is, is the better button? Um, but then it comes down to the trigger on the NES zapper, uh, which is the only button on the controller, or the A button on the GameCube controller. The trigger on the NES Zephyr is such a unique sensation. Yes. And one that is lost to time, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think I would I think I lean towards the GameCube A button. Yeah, I may as well. Because here's the thing. Uh well, everything I said about the greatness of the Zapper trigger is true. It is now obsolete. Um, you cannot use a light gun on a TV that's not a CRT TV. Uh, and I know people obviously have, um, you know, old monitors and stuff that they, they will play on. Um, but, like, it's it's just straight lost to time. Um, and also, is a trigger a button? Uh, that's, <laughs> you know, a, a philosophical way that we can approach this. Yeah, I feel like what the Zapper has going forward is novelty. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, think the, I think the GameCube A button is the right choice. Then the winner... Of the best button on a Nintendo controller goes to the A button on the GameCube controller. All right, Mark, let's close out this wonderful evening of awards and celebration of Nintendo. Mark, I think that's the best Cardies we've done yet. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like the Cardies come uh, sooner? Every year. I, they can't come soon enough as far as I'm concerned. You're just driving around you're mm-hmm. on the bus shelters. You're seeing four-year consideration. Right. Yep. Best uh, uh, button on a Nintendo controller. Right. And you know that the streets around your apartment are going to be closed down for a week so that they can you know, clean up uh, Nintendo Boulevard. And <laughs> but worth it. Worth it worth every it. year. It's, it's worth it. It's just, it's, uh, it just makes me uh, happy and proud to uh, live in an area that you know really values this sort of thing and celebrates it. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, you can share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. It helps us out when you do. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. 
Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nin Cart Society. There's also a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrows will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on Bald Talk. Campfire. <laughs>